Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning and happy Monday here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. And the big news this morning, if you are a fan of Twitter, or even if you're not, you're just a fan of knowing what's going on in the country, uh, there is going to be a Twitter space with Elon Musk uh, this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central with Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr., who is another presidential candidate and is actually uh, in the primary uh, contest against Joe Biden on the Democrat side. So I will be listening into that space and then having reaction on my podcast later this afternoon. You can find that at thejennaellisshow.com. And I think it's a great thing. Um, I think that Twitter space is a lot uh, better and more of an informal discussion uh, with Elon Musk, David Sachs, and uh, some questions from the audience, just like what Governor DeSantis did in announcing his uh, presidential candidacy. And so we'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, I'm a fan of, of how we are moving kind of into a more modern era with uh, some of the presidential discussions, and we'll see how the debate the uh, the debates go. But the other top story that I want to start with this morning with uh, my first guest, which is attorney Ron Coleman. He is um, a partner at the Dillon Law Group and one of my favorite people to talk to about all kinds of things, but especially legal things. Uh, he joins me this morning, and this is the headline from the AP. Trump appointed judge rejects Tennessee's anti-drag law as too broad and too vague. So according to the AP, this is how they are framing it. Uh, The Tennessee's first in the nation law designed to place strict limits on drag shows is unconstitutional, a federal judge says. The law is both unconstitutionally vague and substantially overbroad and encouraged discriminatory enforcement according to the ruling late Friday. So this judge who is U.S. District Judge Thomas Parker, appointed by former uh, President Trump, said in the ruling, there is no question that obscenity is not protected by the First Amendment, but there is a difference between material that is obscene in the vernacular and material that is obscene under the law. So Ron Coleman, good morning. And uh, your reaction to this particular ruling, do you agree uh, with the judge here? Yeah, I think he's right. I think there are better ways to attack this problem. And I understand why the Tennessee legislature wanted to take action. Uh, I I think there are a lot of um, approaches that would be more effective. But Judge Parker didn't really have much choice. It would require a Supreme Court correction change, and I don't even see that happening. But under the applicable law, I don't. I don't think there's really uh, any any way to uphold a law like this, given where we are. 
And I would agree with you. And I think that the the intent here behind uh, what the Tennessee legislature and other legislatures are contemplating, which is, of course, to make sure that drag shows and some of this obscene content is not uh, in front of children and you know, some of that rationale makes sense. But the way that the legislature is attempting to construct these laws really is vague and overbroad. And uh, the judge here gave an example saying uh, of a female performer wearing an Elvis Presley costume and oh. said that under the drag law, that person would be at risk of punishment because they would be considered a quote unquote male impersonator. So it's it's overbroad in the sense that it's trying to capture conduct that really isn't actually punishing under the definition of of what the law is supposed to suggest. So um, so so talk about that, Ron Coleman, in in the sense of how um, the Supreme Court has interpreted First Amendment protections, because I know a lot of people listening are saying, well, yeah, it should be really easy to define what is a drag show versus an, an obscene versus something that's actually fine. Well, you have to, uh, you know, start out with the premise, which is the accurate premise that any form of content regulation is presumptively invalid. Uh, this is a form of content regulation. Uh, let's dig even a little bit deeper. We're living in a constitutional world where the First Amendment protection for free speech has been interpreted since before you and I were born, Jenna, but not all that much further, in my case, um, to extend to conduct such as new dancing. Now, it is rather preposterous to suggest that when the First Amendment was adopted, that anyone understood that nude dancing or any kind of dancing was a form of free speech. But there's no going back, I think, on that. So drag shows are a form of artistic expression or are deemed to be artistic expression that is not obscene. I think that people who are religious, such as ourselves, have no difficulty considering the drag show that we're talking about here, not a professional performer who is, you know, before our time, Milton Berle used to get lots of laughs on his TV show in the 1950s dressing as a woman. <clears throat> that wasn't meant to have a sexual overtone. It was social commentary. It was, it was, it was a form of comedy. Um, obviously, there's an allusion to sexuality there. Today's drag shows are disgusting expressions of sexuality, and children have no business being anywhere near them. But if I wanted to deal with this as a legislator, as a legislator, uh, this problem, I would actually focus on parent, you know, the, the extent to which parents should be permitted or prohibited from bringing, bringing or allowing their children to attend uh, sexually explicit, um, any, any kind of sexually explicit 
uh, programming. Right. And, and this actually yeah. makes a, a lot of sense when we're talking about it in the context of parental rights, because um, as, as you and I both, I think, would agree, the the Constitution also does and should protect parental rights. And anytime you have a legislature that's seeking to foreclose um, some aspect of that, we always have to be initially suspicious of that. And so when we're looking at potentially trying to regulate these types of activities because parents aren't doing that themselves, which I think is actually the the bigger, um, broader cultural and societal question is why are parents even choosing to bring their children in the first place? And I think the church should deal with that. But if we're dealing with this under the legislature, um, isn't a better way potentially to make some of these events like 18 plus like you would have at other types of um, sexually explicit performances and other things like clubs that are already 18 plus. I mean, isn't there a way we could potentially do that that's not punishing this so-called impersonator uh, rather than having something that is so, a law that is so broad and and, and um, overbroad and, and vague that it does run afoul of the First Amendment? It really, right. And I think I think that, that that's a great challenge. But, and, and as you say, we don't want Presumptively, we don't want to offend, you know, the the concept of parents' rights because if you would leave it up to the National Education Association, um, in in many, and and its affiliates in many states, they take the, consi- the, the the position that public schools and public school teachers are actually the appropriate decisors when it comes to what rights. Uh, what a child should be exposed to in school, and their parents. Once a, once a child is in school, parents really have nothing to say about it. That's that's the other end of the spectrum. Having said that, we have a societal problem which may or may not be amenable to legal solution, which is that you know every time you see a video on Twitter, as as one will, uh, of children enjoying a so-called. Uh, family-friendly, crotch-grinding, you know, uh, drag show. What are parents doing taking their children to this? That's a gigantic problem. And unfortunately, you know, churches and religious organizations are probably not in a position to do all that much about it because I don't think the people taking their children to these shows could possibly have seen the inside of, of a church in that same week. It, 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 I, I, maybe I'm just naive. <laughs> well, and, and that's really the question, uh, Ron Coleman, is, uh, you know, how, how can a parent think that this is genuinely okay? And I think if we went back even, you know, a decade or two ago in in our nation's history, we wouldn't see as many parents that would think that this is a permissible activity and they would be uh, they would be embarrassed to go with their children and bring their children to this type of of a content event but you said something else that i want to underscore which is that um this type of thing isn't necessarily amenable sometimes to legal or legislative solutions and that really is the point because i can imagine a lot of people listening to this are saying well, of course we need to prohibit this. We need to, you know, society has an obligation to protect children. That's all true. But not everything 
is amenable to a legislative or legal solution because we don't want to be so overbroad that we end up foreclosing parental rights for parents that are good parents of of their kids. And we don't want to have unintended consequences, which is exactly what this type of law is doing. And I actually do agree with the judge's decision here that it captures conduct that otherwise should be permissible in society. And so the the solution here isn't necessarily one of the law. The solution here is that the church needs to be more engaged in society and parents and, and have, I mean, where, where, Ron Coleman, are we at as a society when parents don't feel embarrassment and public shame for taking their children to these kinds of events? I mean, that to me is the solution. That's the solution. That's the problem. And, and I, you know, to bring the discussion full circle, the Supreme Court as an institution it, over the last 75 years bears some responsibility for abdicating the position that the law should and properly does reflect moral values um, and, uh, you know, and that, for, for example, the definition of obscenity itself has been whittled away to so little. I don't think that a Supreme Court would have had a lot of difficulty just looking at what we see as drag shows happening in drag shows today, as opposed to the female impersonators of previous generations, as obscene. They are prurient. They are not in any meaningful way artistic. The Supreme Court threw up its hands, abdicated its position uh, as line drawer and said, no, well, if, if we know it when we see it and we hardly ever see it. Now, 75 years later, we live in a world where parents, unfortunately, to a great extent, don't know it when they see it and they are ruining an entire generation of children. Yeah, and and it's so tragic and really, really well said. Um, Ron Coleman, a, f- a partner at the Dillon Law Group. You can follow him on social media at Ron Coleman. And you also have a podcast that is called The Coleman Nation. And I uh, really appreciate your analysis. And, you know, it's, it's exactly what our founders said, that our Constitution was made only for a moral and upright people. It's wholly inadequate uh, to any other. And, and for our society... If we don't have people who see and understand obscenity for what it is, then the law cannot possibly deal with all of the sins of man, especially when parents are taking their kids to this. So the solution, as always, is more Jesus. So we will be right back here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And if you have not yet noticed, it is um, unfortunately to the left this thing called Pride Month, which uh, suggests that if we haven't had all of the LGBTQI plus plus 17, 20, whatever things that they always say right in front of your face, 
then this is the month that apparently it is even more permissible and tolerated in society and in fact required of a lot of these uh, woke companies to put it even more in your face. And so the fact that we're even having to uh, talk about some of these things like drag queen story time and some of these, you know, drag events and uh, how we deal with this as a society in terms of uh, what parents take their children to, what children are exposed to, and not only in society, but in their schools um, and contemplating all of these questions. Um, it, it's really to me, very tragic that our society has gone so far off the rails and so far apart from a moral and upright general consciousness of God in society that we have to be talking about some of the this really honestly obscene stuff. And so even though, um, as in the last segment, I talked with my good friend Ron Coleman uh, from the Dillon Law Group about how we can't necessarily deal with all of this from a legal perspective all the time. And certainly the law should reflect morality. But when culture doesn't reflect morality, it's a lot more difficult for the law to just impose that without being overbroad uh, than it would be if all parents just said, you know what, there's no way I'm bringing my kid to drag queen story time or to a drag event. That would be the best solution for society is for parents to make the best, most moral, most ethical, most God-honoring decisions for their own children so that we don't have to contemplate this legislatively. So I want to continue to talk about um, this whole concept and and dealing with Pride Month and all of this with um, my friend Delano Squires, who is a contributor with uh, the Fearless podcast with Jason Whitlock, and he wrote also as a contributor to Blaze Media, an article that I want to get into as well. Uh, but first, Delano, good morning, and uh, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Jenna, good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, you are one of uh, the boldest advocates for uh making sure that parents and you know, fathers especially are uh, training up their children in the way they should go. So as Proverbs says, when they're older, they won't depart from it. And so from just mm-hmm. a, a general perspective, um, what is your, I guess, response um, from a biblical worldview as to where we're at in society today and how we as Christians have to deal with this thing called Pride Month that now we all have to deal with once a year when all of these mega corporations are going even more woke and mm. off the rails than they already are? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think, you know, one of the first things I want to do is just be clear about something, because a lot of times um, Christian resistance to the gods of pride is interpreted as, oh, you guys hate, you know, homosexuals and gays and lesbians and transgender people. And that's not the case at all. First of all, as believers, we, we pray for them. We pray that they would come to, you know, the saving knowledge of Christ. But but there's a big difference between um, what people do in their private lives and the way that this, that pride as a movement, as a political movement, is being forced on the entire society, right? So, and, and, and Pride at this point has the force of the state, um, has the media behind it, the financial might of the private sector and corporations, um, and, and we even enforce our, you know, Pride values on other nations, you know, through, through our embassies, you know, and obviously all of that is backed up with, with you know, threat of military force. So uh, I, I think as, as Christians, we should understand where we stand, um, and I think 
you know, the notion of a, a values-neutral public square um, is one that was never the case and should certainly be crystal clear at this point. Uh, someone's values will always be imposed on the public square. Uh, and I think believers need to, um, at the very least, begin to get serious about discipling and catechizing our own children, um, because if we don't, we, we, we already see what um, the, the left believes when it comes to some of these uh, most bedrock issues. Right, absolutely. And, and it's so incredibly important that we don't, as Christians, allow the, the left saying, well, you're just hateful, you're bigoted, you're homophobic. I mean, you're all of these other terms that, that all they're intending to do is to silence us and intimidate us from standing up and mm-hmm. saying, this is the truth of the biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. And I am going to advocate for the truth, regardless of what you call me. And there, and there are so many times as well where I don't even respond to that kind of stuff. I don't defend that I'm not, you know, a homophobe or I'm not bigoted or I'm not able because I'm. I don't want to even dignify that accusation with a response because we, then we are always on the defensive and instead right. just go for the truth of the actual topic of the conversation that we're talking about, which is, of course, how we all live together in society when there are such extreme leftists that they think it's fine to bring their children to these types of events. And they think it's fine to compel you and me to participate in a lie and call them their preferred pronouns and, you know, all of these other examples. And so when it comes to um, the public square and, and how we talk about this, um, what is the best way for parents to do this when a lot of times the church has really abdicated that and, and is actually embracing um, the LGBT agenda to say, well, we can't actually condemn that from the pulpit, which is, of course, biblically wrong. I mean, if, if you are a Christian and you are in a church like that, obviously the first thing you need to do is find a new church. Um, because if, if you if your pastor and your church cannot stand on biblical principles when it comes to Genesis issues, right? What is a life? What is a man? What is a woman? What is a marriage? Um, it, you you unless you're the type of person that has you know your sort of own grounding in terms of your intestinal fortitude, you, you are going to be moved. We, we've seen it all across the country with politicians, with, um, even, as you said, some pastors. Uh, I, I remember one pastor, conservative evangelical, who said that he would engage in pronoun hospitality when talking to a man who believed that he was a woman. Um, so, so I think, one, is, is to be in a, in a biblically sound, gospel-preaching, Bible-teaching church. And two, is for parents to read their, the Scriptures for themselves um, and to understand that we cannot beat God at loving his created beings. Uh, so the notion that we're more loving by affirming someone's delusion than we are in, in uh, telling them God's truth is one that every Christian should put out of their head. Um, and once we have ourselves, you know, we've sealed our own spine, then again, it, it's to turn around and, and teach these things um, to our children because I mean, I have, I have four kids, seven and under, and um, my wife and I, we don't even let them watch anything that was made after 2018 in terms of Cartoon Network, Disney. Um, and if we do, we vet it heavily because the culture 
is intent on discipling our children. And, and I've said this to people before. I can't think of a, of a single issue over the last 25 years, Jenna, where the left, particularly when it comes to these issues of sex, sexuality, and gender identity, have said, we, want, we are going to go up to this particular line, however that line is defi- defined, and we won't go one step further. The, the line is constantly being pushed. Um, so it, it's called a movement for a particular reason, uh, and I think parents need to be clear-eyed and steel spine um, as we navigate the culture. Absolutely. We have to be. And I was uh, spending some time with my cousins yesterday who uh, also have, you know, very young children. And, um, you know, my, my brother has four kids under five and, you know, dealing with all of these questions of how do parents navigate the current culture and have, and, and raise children in discipleship and, and yet um, don't give them this um, opportunity to be indoctrinated by the culture. And we have to continue Mm -hmm. to talk about this, not only in civil society, in the church, but then also with how we understand um, the the political sphere and how we exercise our vote. And we need to talk about this Mm -hmm. honestly, regardless of uh, partisanship and of politics. And this actually um, gets me into then the the headline of your uh, Blaze Media piece, which um, I think is a really great op-ed because this is the title. Um, When it comes to pride, a second Trump term would be more Lady MAGA than Uganda forever. And um, so so what is the the premise of this piece and why uh, this was timely for you to write? Sure. I mean, the premise is fairly simple. Um, It's that conservative evangelicals that think President Trump would be a bulwark against the continued encroachment of pride into every area of our culture um, are basing that more on their hopes and dreams than they are on his personal or political record. Um, I I actually start the piece by talking about what I dubbed the Obama effect. Um, and part of the Obama effect, the, the example that I drew in terms of Obama as a, as a singular sort of generational candidate um, moving his most socially conservative base, a lot of black Christians, born-again Christians, moving them to the left on, on these genesis issues, particularly as it relate, relates to same-sex marriage. Uh, and, and when he came into office, and, and, you know, even in 2004, 2008, he believed marriage was between one man and one woman, which was in, in step with, you know, his supporters in the black church. By, by 2012, he started to, to shift a little bit. 2015 was Obergefell. And those black pastors who were, again, resolute in their belief in the biblical definition of marriage um, now start to sing a different tune about evolving on the issue and and now we're to the point where last year when Dobbs, Dobbs' decision, you know, struck down Roe versus Wade, there were pastors, influential pastors, who were linking that decision to the eventual, uh, eventual rollback of Obergefell and same-sex marriage rights. So um, I, I use that to say what Obama was to the left, Trump is to the right in terms of that singular figure, oftentimes described in messianic terms. Uh, and I think conservatives should be um, guarded from allowing themselves to be pulled to the left 
um, because, you know, the, because of the president's, you know, personal convictions on the matter. And those are convictions that I would describe as, at best, center-left. I mean, I'm from New York. I, I, I know a New York liberal when I see one. Um, and and I, I think the, to the extent that, you know, a second Trump administration would be good on, quote-unquote, pride issues, that would more so be a reflection of the people that the president would have around him and their convictions on the matter, uh, more so than, than his convictions on matters of sex, sexuality, or gender identity. And I'm speaking with Delana Squires, who wrote a great piece in the Blaze Media that I would commend to everyone's reading. Uh, the title is, When It Comes to Pride, a Second Trump Term Would Be More Lady Maga Than Uganda Forever. And um, and, and Delana Squires, I think I think it's a really important point to underscore that just because, and I know there's a lot of people who listen to the show that are um, very very heavily Trump supporters, um, love what he did mm-hmm. in his first term, and and that's all well and good. And and I think that it's important uh-huh. though for Christians to make sure that even though uh, we may follow one particular candidate or another and and think that they're the best way that we exercise our vote and our our constitutionally protected right and the blessings of liberty in society, that doesn't mean then that in defending that candidate, you then have to buy into and subscribe to all of their positions all the time. And a lot of times what I see particularly with Trump supporters um, and and I think that the AFR audience is is vastly different than this, um, but a lot of times with Trump supporters, if you criticize any position, then the automatic response is, oh, well, then, you know, you must hate Trump or you must be opposed or, you know, and, and they get very defensive mm-hmm. of him personally, mm-hmm. where we need mm-hmm. to take a step back and we need to say, well, is he good personally and in policy decisions on these issues? And, you know, even when I worked for him um, in his 2020 campaign, that was an issue that I was confronted with was this kind of pride coalition. And I refused to support that. I would always, I mean, there were only a few times I was even asked in media, but even behind the scenes, um, I would say I'm a part of the evangelical coalition and we are firmly for the Mm. truth of the matter. And I would say what I am for and would contrast that. And what I'm, what I agree with you that I'm seeing across the board because of the Trump era is this, shift and and not even drift, but intentional shift uh, to the left on these issues and kind of this wholesale mm-hmm. embracing of what I'm starting to call moral gerrymandering, where we're redrawing mm. the boundaries of morality and truth in human sexuality in these issues because we want to be so-called big tent conservatives. And that's just absolutely wrong. And Christians need to hold the line on this. And, and I want to get your response. We're right up against a break, okay. but I want to get your response okay. to that uh, right after this here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm talking with Delano Squires and his piece, when it comes to pride, a second Trump term would be more Lady Maga than Uganda forever. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are addressing all of the uh, ways that Christians need to respond not only to Pride Month, but also to this 
intentional shift in the conservative uh, overall political sphere and um, unfortunately really the Republican Party that has largely embraced uh, pride and has continue to openly affirm all of these uh, false notions of the LGBT agenda. And I'm talking with uh, Delano Squires, who is the co-host of the Fearless podcast and a writer and contributor for the Blaze Media. I had a great piece talking about uh, the Trump administration and how uh, the the second term, if we get there with uh, with Trump, would not necessarily squarely address some of these issues from a Christian and biblical worldview unless uh, maybe there are some good people around him who are Christians. And, you know, I've been, um, Delano, I've been very uh, forthcoming on this show that uh, if President Trump is the nominee, I will fully support him. Um, if it is someone else, I will support, fully support whoever is the GOP nominee uh, for me personally, because uh, I believe that whoever is running on that ticket would be infinitely better than whoever will be on the Democrat side. Uh, which is likely to be Joe Biden. But I think that in supporting a candidate and in exercising my constitutionally protected right to vote and the blessings of liberty that we have in this country to select and prefer our leaders, we can't just then say, well, because I'm supporting one candidate over another, I won't address things that I don't support that are in conflict fundamentally with the Bible and with the Christian worldview. And Largely, I mean, and this isn't just uh, an issue of Donald Trump personally. This is something that, as we talked about in the last segment, um, is an issue with the Republican Party and a lot of so-called conservatives as a whole. And I was saying, I'm starting to call this moral gerrymandering because what we're doing is trying to redraw the district lines and the moral boundaries, um, if you will, of these social issues and human sexuality and where the Bible draws very clear, bright line, moral rules from God himself that we as human beings don't have the ability or the authority to redraw or to arbitrate. And yet that's what we're seeing with a lot of these conservatives that want to cave on the social issues because their argument is, well, we just need to be a big tent. We can't offend people. We're never going to win elections if we don't just concede that uh, gay marriage is permissible. And those are all of those arguments. And and I firmly disagree with that um, as a Christian. Yeah, I mean, one, I, I love moral gerrymandering. And if I wasn't a Christian, I would steal it. Um, but I don't believe in stealing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think <laughs> you're welcome to yeah. borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> But I think a couple things. One, I think every, I think every American citizen at this point in, in, in American history should rethink what our cultural relationship is to politics. And I say that because some of the same, and I mentioned the Obama effect and, and some of his most loyal voters, um, and I see some of the same things in terms of Trump's most loyal voters. Um, which is the notion that if, if we elect the right person, that they alone are going to solve all of the, the ills of society, all the problems that we see, right? So whether on the Obama side is, you know, systemic racism and wealth inequality, or on the Trump side, it's, um, you know, fighting back against pride and, and, and you know, globalism. Um, but 
our elected officials represent our values. And, and, and the government that we have in, in, in any particular point in time represents where we are as a culture. Um, so I, I don't like making politicians into messianic figures. And you know you've gotten there when, to your point, any criticism of this person seems like heresy. Right? It's, not, it's not, oh, you criticize my, my favorite political candidate. It's you, you spoke out against, you know, for some people, my little G God. Um, and I think that that's deeply unhealthy to the, to the body politic. The other thing I'll say mm. is this. Um, every society has a closet, quote unquote. Right? There are a range of behaviors and values that are openly expressed in the public. And then that closet represents all of the things that are relegated to the private sphere. Um, the question is not, you know, whether but which. And there was a time when Christians were out loud and proud, and we could, you know, uh, acknowledge or celebrate our faith in the public square and um, on TV and, and you know, in, in film and media. And sexual behavior, particularly non-normative sexual behavior, was kept behind closed doors. But now those two worlds have switched. And now um, the, the rainbow is out of the closet at, in your public school, your public library, um, on TV, television, media. Um, and believers feel like we have to practice our faith in secret. Um, and that says something, about again, about where, where we are as a culture. So... You know, tying it back to, to, to my column, you know, I, I, know, I don't think a lot of, you know, Christians understand how supportive President Trump was of, of you know, the LGBT community. And again, I'm not saying he's, he's a man of the left when it comes to this. I'm just saying he's not who a lot of people assume that he is when it comes to, to, to these issues. And, and, and this is bigger than him, Jenna. And I, and I know you know this because I've seen some of your back and forth with Senator Cruz. When, mm-hmm. when, when Senator Cruz, Ted Cruz, you know, criticizes the, the, the law in Uganda criminalizing aggravated homosexuality, and he, he says that imposing the death penalty, again, for aggravated homosexuality, a term that he did not define, by the way, when he calls it an abomination, he's borrowing biblical language. When he says mm-hmm. that civilized, quote-unquote, nations should join, join together to condemn that, and, and aggravated homosexuality includes rape and incest and, and you know, sex with people with disabilities. Um, we should and understand what, what time it is. Correct. And, and children. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, sh- we should understand what, what time it is. So I think one of the things that, you know, there's a lot of talk about Christian nationalism going back and forth in evangelical circles. I think one of the things that we should be thinking about, Christian political theorists should be thinking about, is what authentic... Um, political engagement looks like for Christians in the coming future, based on our current trajectory, where both parties are openly supportive of all things pride. Um, now, there may be still distinctions on abortion. Some of that may start to be started to chip away. But when it comes to matters of sex, sexuality, and gender identity, un- unless a person is an out Christian, or small or, or orthodox, Bible-believing Christian, I'm of the, of the opinion or the belief 
that it's only a matter of time before that person gets pushed left when it comes to these issues. So um, in many respects, the left is out loud and proud with this embrace of homosexuality, um, uh, and of its embrace of pride, let me be specific. And the right, I hate to say it this way, is still living on the down low where people will support it quietly, um, but then when they're, you know, on TV in public, try to give the sense that, no, we, we stand with you, you know, evangelical base, all while they're, you know, starting to undermine us behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm talking with Delano Squires, who wrote a great piece in the Blaze Media um, that I would commend to your reading. And um, and Delano, bringing up Senator Cruz, for example, is just yet another example of how people on the right and Republicans and so-called conservative, even Christians, I mean, he holds himself out to be uh, a person of faith. And to say mm-hmm. that um, this is something that, you know, he calls an abomination. I think you're right to say that he borrowed from a biblical language and and used actually in his tweet, used the hashtag LGBTQ. Um, it, mm-hmm. it was shocking to me to say, okay, you are someone who should recognize that this is going against the very foundation of the biblical worldview and the very um, the very basic principles of what defines a human being made in the image of God. And to have, you know, all of these people on the right um, have this opinion to say, well, we've basically given up on these issues and a more civilized society would fully embrace and be okay with, well, whatever you want to do in the privacy of your own home, we can't question that, is abdicating the role and responsibility of the political sphere and civil society in our community as a whole, uh, giving that over to the left and just and saying mm-hmm. we're, we're basically done on these issues. And I think that the point here um, that I want listeners to take away from this discussion and the show is to make sure that we are not saying that we are Republicans first or you know, ex-person supporters first or in these kind of tribalistic camps, we have to be Christians first always. And that has to be the first and foremost line. And that's not to say that I'm not going to, you know, then go and exercise my right to vote and vote for the best person. Of course, I'm going to do that. But I'm never going to concede these issues and say publicly and affirm what Ted Cruz said, or what, you know, what the Republican National Party is saying, what the chairwoman is saying, what a lot of these very prominent Republicans are saying on issues of pride. It's, it's wrong. And we as Christians have to continue to call that out. Absolutely. And, and I'll say two things really quick. I think one, the, what started as the gay rights movement, which we now call, you know, LGBTQ, you know, 2IA, 2S plus, you know, silent P movement. Um, its greatest victory to me has not been, you know, gay marriage or, or adoption rights or any other specific law or policy. Its, its greatest victory has been the cultural normalization of um, homosexuality, transgenderism, so on and so on and so forth. It, it's, it's not that it's legal, it's that it's normative, so that even Christians, Feel a, so, for instance, even if a Christian is watching a, a, a program, a TV show, and deals with marriage and, and relationships, some of us will start to say, okay, well, when, when is the gay couple coming? 
um, because it, it has been so inscribed in our culture that we can't even, you know, conceive of a, of a future w- without, you know, that playing, you know, as significant a role as it, as it does now. And, and I think many Christians would, would gladly take a compromise where we say, okay, you guys keep all of that stuff um, in, in the privacy of your own home, back in the closet where it used to be. But, Jenna, you and I know, especially in June, when you have these pride festivals and you see these guys engaged in puppy play, you know, in leather masks, you know, being uh, walked down the street on all fours by, by other grown men in leather chaps and not much else, and you see the kids that are on the sidelines waving, you know, the pride flag, this, we've left, you know, privacy of our own home 25 years ago. Um, and and yeah. it, is, it is the official public religion right now. And I think one of the things that every conservative politician, pundit should be comfortable doing is not just saying what we're against, but being crystal clear about what we are for as it relates to these issues and, and what, um, an appropriate, what is the appropriate position of, of pride? Um, and I don't mm. think many conservatives want to touch that even before they get to the law and overturning, you know, you know, certain Supreme Court cases. Um, but as believers, we should be clear about what we think a rightly ordered, God-honoring society requires of us in that particular area. So well said. And I absolutely agree because this is the biblical position and we have to hold our leaders accountable regardless of party, regardless of partisanship, regardless of what office they hold. We have to require them to uphold the moral boundaries as God has given them to us. And to say, you have no capacity to redefine that. We are not going to participate in this, you know, so-called tolerance. It's not... Uh, we mm-hmm. should never tolerate evil. We should never tolerate falsity. We should never tolerate lies in society. And if we do that, we are then abdicating our responsibility as Christians in society and suggesting that politicians can go against the authority of God, which is completely contrary to the divine order. And and mm-hmm. as we are confronting all of these issues, uh, we have to make sure that we are consistently talking about this, not as, you know, some myopic focus. And I know that the um, the left likes to come back and say, well, why are you just so focused on, you know, why do you care so much about, you know, what whether two guys get married? Well, we care mm-hmm. because of the implications of what that is suggesting further in our society. And we have to come back and care about this uh, because this is the foundation of a moral and upright society. And if we get that wrong, then what else are we going to mm-hmm. start conceding? So, um, so Delano yeah. Squires, really appreciate your insights and your commentary today. Where can people uh, find you and follow your work? Um, the, the easiest place is to follow me on Twitter, at uh, Delano, D-E-L-A-N-O, Squires, S-Q-U-I-R-E-S, all one string. Um, that's where I try to do my best to stay out of trouble. Varying degrees of success day to day, so... But yeah, on Twitter is probably the best place to follow me. Yeah, all right. Sounds good. Well, thanks. And yeah, I, I get in trouble on Twitter all the time. So everyone can follow me there. But uh, thanks so much. And you can always reach us, Jenna, at AFR.net. And we will be back with more tomorrow right here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning, speaking truth in love. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast 
may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.